The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And the screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Stop. love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem, tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who on this town tonight. Welcome to Carmen Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy in studio. Happy Martin Luther King Day. A lot to talk about today. Um, two very, very big games yesterday, AFC and NFC Championship games. I'll definitely cover that. Talk the Super Bowl preview, Denver Broncos, Seattle Seahawks. And uh, I'll dive into all the storylines that happened the past the past weekend. Richard Sherman being an idiot at the end of the game uh, when Seattle beat uh, San Francisco. Talk about the Major League instant replay, the new rules that we didn't touch on last week, but I'll um, definitely get into today towards the end of the show. And uh, Bill Belichick's take on Wes Welker's hit that knocked out Aqib Tlaib that, in essence, allowed uh, Peyton Manning to throw all over New England secondary. So first, we'll start with that game. Broncos 26, pay, uh, Patriots 16. So it's kind of a boring game through one half. Um you know, not many points scored in the fr- score in the first quarter. Everything was kind of just a feel out process for both teams. Uh, Peyton Manning very methodical as usual. You could see right off the bat that New England's run game was not going to be an issue. And it's interesting that the defensive scheme seemed to be that you stop the run and you stop the Patriots, which has never really been the case in in at least in Tom Brady's tenure there with Bruce uh, with Bill Belichick. Um, the run game was non existent for. Uh, for the Patriots, 64 yards total. Uh, a lot of it was towards the end, and uh, Shane Vereen had uh, th- four carries that, that covered half of those yards. Um, a couple interesting things that I saw. One, of course, was uh, Wes Welker having a uh, crushing block on Aqib Tlaib across the middle on what seemed to be somewhat of a pick play, which is technically not legal in the NFL, but teams do it all the time and get away with it through one way or another. Uh, that knocked the keep to leave out, and right when he went off the field, Peyton Manning went to work. Uh, the first two passes he completed were Demarius Thomas, two catches for 55 yards. Right when Tlaib left the field, and that kind of set the pace for the rest of the game. Uh, when you don't have your lockdown corner or as close to it as the Patriots have, because their secondary has been lacking pretty much all year, uh, they you see how truly weak their defense is without him. And Peyton Manning had another stellar day, uh, 400 yards passing, two touchdowns, very efficient. Uh, I think he completed 14 of his uh, 14 passes in a row right when Tlaib went out. Took them on a 97-yard drive that started with the Demarius Thomas receptions. It was, uh, I think, second and one from second and goal from the one-yard line. And we've seen through the playoffs that teams will play it safe and try to run the ball four times, and even if they don't get it on fourth down, they'll, they'll stick the opposing team on their one-yard line having to go 99 yards to score the other way. But Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning formed as a little play action, one-yard touchdown pass to Jacob Tammy, and they score a touchdown. 
I feel like that's usually a recipe for success is, is any sort of rollout play, especially with your second tight end that's usually your blocking tight end. And he worked that to perfection, obviously. On that play, there were at least two wide receivers open, or, or two receivers open. I believe they were both uh, backup tight ends. Um, you know, we didn't see much from New England until about nine minutes left in the fourth when they were down 23-3. They just kind of turned it on. It feel like the blanket was lifted, and they just started throwing the ball. I understand that the defense had something to do with it because – that's usually when the prevent defense comes into play, and uh, that definitely rang true uh, at that point. Um, you know, there, there's another thing that without Rob Gronkowski and it, he, Payton, uh, Tom Brady throws the ball high. He, he He's used to throwing the ball to tall receivers. Aaron Dobson finally got in the field, made a great great catch down the middle in the first half, but it, it, was, uh, it didn't lead to anything. Uh, I remember... Julian Edelman wide open in the end zone from about 35 yards out. Peyton Manning throws it three feet over his head, and normally that'd be a that'd be Gronkowski throw where he Gronkowski would have the leaping ability to make the grab and come down with a touchdown. It's hard to throw the ball over the line, which are a bunch of six six plus six foot plus guys, to a guy that's you know barely six feet. Uh, and Tom Brady definitely had trouble doing that. I don't know how he did it throughout the whole year, but uh. Yeah, he was definitely having trouble doing it yesterday. After they come down and score the second time, put it to 26-16, they've thrown the ball two straight two straight drives with pretty much little to no effort, little to no resistance from the defense, and they choose to run the ball for the two-point conversion, which baffled me. I, I'm not sure, maybe even run a play action, do something to, to get the defense off, uh, off balance, but they just run the ball right up the gut with Shane Vereen, who's an undersized back to begin with. He's more of a slot guy anyways. And uh, they stop him, and then that's it. I feel like if you have a chance to make maybe the best comeback in in playoff history, let alone conference championship history, you put the ball in, your, in the hands of your best player, like you had been, uh, even though he was not existent for the first three quarters. Uh, this is going to be interesting to see what is going to happen next year with New England. Let's talk about them briefly. Uh, Gronkowski comes back. Hopefully, he'll be healthy. But they have to decide what they're going to do schematically for next year, if they're going to be a running team or if they're going to be just the Tom Brady passing team like they have been and and what's gotten them to the prominence that, that, that they've earned. I mean, you have you know three running backs, like Garrett Blunt, Stephen Ridley, and I guess Shane Vereen would be one as well. Even though you could flank him out or put him in the slot, you can put him anywhere. Uh, you bring in receivers. I mean, they're going to need some help with the receiver in the receiving core. Julian Edelman's small. I mean, it'd be like having Wes Welker when he was there be the number one receiver at, at his height. It's it's impossible to do. Danny Amendola's undersized. He only had one target yesterday, zero catches. So he might not be the answer. Maybe it's taken a little while for him to learn the offense, learn the Belichick way. Uh, I feel like towards the end of the year, you, you should have a pretty good grasp on it, however. Uh, they need to bring somebody in that's big. Kembrell Tompkins can't stay on the field. Aaron Dobson played well when he was on the field towards the end of the year, but they're still young guys. Uh, Tom Brady's not a miracle worker to that extent. People thought, that, oh yeah, you just put, put guys around Tom Brady and he'll make him great. Uh, at least with Peyton Manning and, and having his receiving core when he came in, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, etc., uh, they had some experience on the field. They'd been in the league a couple of years. They'd, they caught touchdown passes, uh, even albeit from Tim Tebow or whoever came before him. Uh, they, were still, they still played before you know, they weren't rookies. And Julius Thomas is is the only standout, but he he has the physical ability to just come on the field and make a difference, especially when the ball's thrown to him. Uh, he's a basketball player, Portland State, 
And, you know, he's got the hands, he's got the leaping ability, he's got the innate athleticism that comes with a basketball player that Kimberl Tompkins and Aaron Dobson seemingly don't have yet, at least. So, I mean, I think really think that they need to maybe even draft a receiver, trade up, draft a receiver, get somebody that will that will electrify that, that passing game that's not named Rob Gronkowski, who has had issues staying on the field, obviously, over the past couple of years. So on the other side, Denver, you know, they, they look fantastic. I mean, they looked exactly like everybody thought they would look. The, the most uh, potent offense in NFL history, 507 total yards. That's the most yardage uh, given up by a Belichick defense in, in any playoff game in his tenure. Uh, it, it just looked really easy. It looked really, really easy. Uh, the receivers look great. You know, Demarius Thomas is supplanting himself as as maybe a top five receiver in this league, and obviously Peyton Manning has a lot to do with that. But he looked really good. Seven catches, 134 yards. 30 was as long. It wasn't like he had a 75-yard touchdown catch. I mean, 10 targets. Julius Thomas, 8 for 85, 11 targets. Eric Decker had eight targets. So Peyton Manning looks really good. He wasn't hurried. I think he was hurried once. He wasn't knocked down once. His jersey was cleaner than it was at the end of the game than it was when he put it on to start the game, which is, I mean, it's a huge testament to the offensive line, but maybe also the defensive schemes and the the blitzing schemes that uh, New England tried to uh, tried to execute that just it just didn't work. Anytime you rush three guys on on Peyton Manning, he's going to rip you apart. So it just looked like somebody was always open, and maybe when you have. You know, four stud receivers, I'm including Wes Welker on that, even though he didn't have much of an impact on the game except for knocking Tlaib out. I mean, it's impossible to, to, to stop everybody. And then if you have everybody covered, then, you, you know, run draw to no Sean Moreno, flank him out. I mean, they have infinite amount of weapons. And still the best quarterback in the game. So, you know, I'm... I'm really curious to see what the Super Bowl will will show about both teams, number one defense versus number one offense. I wonder what Tom Brady's going to do. He's not getting any younger. That's going to be a really interesting storyline in the offseason to see what New England does. Because obviously their defense is decimated by injuries. And I don't know if they draft defense just draft, draft, draft defense. That's what Belichick does. I mean, he he finds guys through the draft, great defenders, great young defenders, quick, beastly. I just wonder if they're ever going to get this close again. I don't know if, if Tom Brady is. I mean, he still has the arm strength that he had when he was a rookie which is great. I mean, he's got the most pure throwing motion. He still works out with his the quarterback coach he had when he was in high school. So he will probably not be the issue. It's He's just not the miracle worker that he used to be because he doesn't have the defense that he used to have. So the potency of the Patriots' offense is going to be an issue. They're always going to be relevant. The division that they play in is, is not good, for lack of a better phrase. But to take the next step and to eventually maybe get to another Super Bowl, especially with these young, studly defenses from the West, I mean, I don't see it. I don't unless they change something. I don't see it happening. 
I don't see them getting over that hump, having him get to the sixth Super Bowl. Because if he if he gets to and wins another one, I mean, I think, in my opinion, he'll go down as the best quarterback of all time. Even though Joe Montana won four and went to four, I mean, never losing a Super Bowl that you're a part of is is pretty special too. But Joe Montana had all of the weapons that you needed, and they had a stout defense. I mean, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana, I feel like, it pretty much speaks for itself. Tom Brady's done a lot with nothing for many, many years. But he's going to need some help, especially because he's getting older. I think he's 36. He's going to need some help. And I think their running back core will be fine. Steven Ridley is fine. He fumbles the ball, but, I mean, if he doesn't get benched again by Belichick, they'll be fine. LeGarrette Blount, I think, was a flash in the pan. Shane Vereen, if he stays healthy, they'll be fine there. They just need they just need help in the secondary and the receiving core. So we'll see. Got to take a break. Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. On the other side, I'll talk about the Seattle-San Francisco game as well as a Super Bowl preview. Alex Clancy, Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. I'll be back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moye, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award Program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouye and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy in studio. I'm by myself today. Um, just talked about the Denver-New England game. Uh, quick stat, Denver outscored New England, I think it was 37-3 to in the first half of the games they played this year, which you can't, you can't come back from that. Well, I mean, they did the first time, and New England did the first time, but that was, 
that was miraculous. And in a playoff game, you just definitely definitely cannot do that when you go down thirteen three at halftime, especially against the team that is as formidable offensively as as the uh, as the Broncos. On the other side, Seattle and San Francisco. This was the game I think everybody was looking forward to. I feel like whoever won in the Denver New England game would have been fine. Uh, you're going to have one of the top seven best quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Top seven best quarterbacks of all time in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, yeah, you have a lot of Denver fans that, you know, are coming out of the woodworks that, I, you know, it's, it's amazing how many Denver fans there are with people that have zero ties to Denver. Uh, New England is is a little different because everybody has a tie to somewhere in New England. I mean, it it's a territory. So there's a lot more states involved and you can have a lot more family or friends or people that got you on the Patriots bandwagon, even when they weren't very good. Um, and you can be fans of theirs, but I, it's interesting with Denver, so many Broncos fans at Facebook, Twitter, everything's blowing up with these people. I'm like, I do you even know how to spell Denver. I, I, I don't understand what your tie is to this, to this team. Oh, well, I was a Peyton Manning fan, so now I'm a Bronco fan. That's ridiculous. I think that you, you need to be a fan, is a fan, is a fan for a specific team, and bandwagoners are sweeping the nation. It's it's an infestation that it, it that doesn't seem to be getting any better. Doesn't seem to be curtailing at all. And you know, people say who are the best fans in the world? A lot of people will say Seattle because of that booming stadium that they have. And part of that is how it was built to to uh, keep sound in, which allows for the Richter scale to, to get ticked. Um, I think that the best fans personally in the world are the Jacksonville Jaguar fans that actually go to every game and all the bad teams that have, like the Browns fans, I would say Browns fans are probably some of the best in the world. It's easy to be a fan of a team when they're relevant all the time. And granted, yes, if you grew up with that team, I understand that. Fine. That's your team, and, and good for you that, that they're a good team. I'm a Laker fan. I understand. I've been a fan since, since I was in diapers. But these teams that come out of the wood, these fans that come out of the woodworks, and that, that are, and I predominantly saw that they were Broncos fans. It's easy when they have the best offense of all time, and Peyton Manning, and, you know, all these things. So I don't know. That, that kind of upset me over the weekend. But I digress. 23-17, Seattle beats the 49ers. This was a really close game. It was kind of a pick em game, even though uh, obviously Seattle, in my opinion, has the best home field advantage in the NFL, and, and a lot of people share that same sentiment. Uh, the quarterback play wasn't great. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, 14-24, uh, 153. Touchdown. I'll talk about his two picks later. Uh, Russell Wilson, 16 of 25, 215 and a touchdown. It was fine. Uh, he had a 35-yard touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse, which took up a chunk of those yards. And that was in the fourth quarter. That I'm going to talk about that first, and then, I'll, and then I'll go back. That was maybe the luckiest or best throw he's ever made in his career. It was on the money. It was between two defenders. And, it, you know, it, it, I guess luck is a part of the game. It was a great throw, but the placement, that could have easily been picked off. That could have easily been picked off, and the game would have been completely different. The same with Kaepernick throwing the touchdown pass to Anquan Bolden in the, in the third quarter. It went right out of the outstretched arms of the, of the defensive back. It got tipped, and Anquan Bolden caught it for a touchdown. That easily could have been intercepted as well. So the theme that I saw in this game was that both of these guys were rattled. At one point or another, uh, First play of the game, Russell Wilson fumbles the ball. 
and San Francisco recovers it. First play, right out of the gate. You have all the momentum. You have all the fan noise. You have everything. You're at home. You have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. You fumble the ball. First play of the game. It's uh, It was a little, little chilling to see that. And then the uh, the fumble... The fumbled handoff to Marshawn Lynch on fourth and fourth and goal from the half inch line. That was another one. I mean, these are textbook plays. Take care of the football and hand the ball off correctly. And those were two costly. Well, one of them ended up being semi costly because they uh, San Francisco scored three points out of it. But they got lucky the other uh, on the second turnover because Colin Kaepernick threw an awful ball, an awful ball, pretty much right into the arms of the defender. He looked that way the whole way, and uh, and it cost him. I mean, in the Super Bowl, in the Meadowlands, against Peyton Manning, unfortunately, you can't afford to be rattled. You can't. You have to have that confidence that got you to where you are now. I just feel like both of these quarterbacks were exposed to a certain extent. Take away a 40-yard touchdown run by Marshawn Lynch that Russell Wilson had nothing to do with. I mean, th- this is a completely different game. A lot of great storylines. I'll talk about Richard Sherman uh, in a second. Um, Doug Baldwin is is looking to be their number one guy now. 100 yards receiving, and I, I understand that one of uh, 55 yards was on one play, uh, on a really really broken play where he got behind where he got behind the last line of defense. But, I mean, he, he looked good, and, and they were talking about him when he was in Kansas City, that he could be that next guy, especially for Kansas City, but uh, they, they didn't take enough time to develop him, especially because they didn't really have a quarterback. He, he, I mean, he looked good. Marshawn Lynch, obviously, two super clutch, long touchdown runs in the last three years. One against New Orleans, obviously, where he was coined, where he was coined the nickname Beast Mode. And then this 40-yard touchdown run. I mean, he's he's elusively fast. He's a big boy. But he can break it to the outside, and I mean, he'll run over you. And he did, got into the end zone. Um, Colin Kaepernick, 130 yards rushing. And I've said this, and I'll continue to always say this until I'm told otherwise or until I see otherwise, a running quarterback will never win a Super Bowl. I've said this for... Ever since I've come on the uh, ever since I've come on the radio, a running quarterback, and, and and I will and I will consider Colin Kaepernick a running quarterback. When you run designed run plays for your quarterback, he is a running quarterback. Russell Wilson, he he has some speed, yes, but they're not running quarterback draws unless you know it's it, it it's situational first and first and goal from the five, and you try to spread everybody out and run them up the middle. I understand that. But broken plays, he's he's able to elude pressure and make smart decisions, but that does not make him a running quarterback. He's had big running games, but again, that doesn't make him a running quarterback. Colin Kaepernick has two playoff games where he's rushed for over 100 yards, which is the total of the combined rest of quarterbacks who've rushed for over 100 yards. I'm going to say that again. Only two quarterbacks in NFL history have rushed for over 100 yards in a playoff game. And Colin Kaepernick has also done it twice on his own. So, that's a rushing quarterback. Um, 
Russell Wilson hasn't played great the last half of the season. He's leaned on his defense. He's leaned on his rushing game, and it's worked. He had a QBR of 38.9 yesterday. That's out of a total 100. Total of 100. So, I mean, you can see that obviously he's doing it as a game manager. And it's interesting because normally you become a game manager towards the end of your career when you've kind of lost your 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 physical abilities and your talent and your body's just kind of waning on you. But he's becoming a game manager now because he's able to. The defense is so good. The running game is top three. And eight games out of the year, you play in the toughest place to play in the NFL for visiting teams. So he he has everything that he needs around him to only do what he's doing. And it'll be interesting to see if if Denver goes up, you know, fourteen nothing in the first quarter against them in the Super Bowl, we'll see what, what kind of real quarterback Russell Wilson is. Now, if this game is a 13-10 final, it's right in Russell Wilson's wheelhouse. All he has to do is not make mistakes, control the clock, and get first downs. And a lot of that, will Mar- Marshawn Lynch will take care of for him. So, um, I- I'm, I'm not sure what will happen in the Super Bowl. I don't even know who I'm going to pick yet. But to finish the conversation about last night, Richard Sherman... If you didn't see it, post-game interview with Aaron Andrews, well, first of all, he deflected uh, the ball with about 20, 20 seconds left in the end zone that was that was meant for uh, Michael Crabtree. ball was intercepted by a teammate. He first goes up, smacks Crabtree on the behind, and looks at him and pretty much tells him that I'm the best defensive back in the NFL. And then Crabtree pushes him, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the game, Aaron Andrews pulls him aside right after the game and he, uh, Richard Sherman, proceeds to scream to everybody that he is the best defensive back in the game and why are they throwing at him and blah, 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 blah. And this made me, well, first of all, it made me sick. And I understand that, that a lot of times at the end of games you have this just, this just innate just boost of energy and, and euphoria and, and you don't really know what you're saying. It's just, it's just kind of diarrhea of the mouth and, and no inner monologue. I mean, I get that. And I get being confident, and I feel like defensive backs and wide receivers alike have to be confident, have to show that confidence to, you know, uh, to keep their stature, especially with a guy that's that, that's as as potent of a defender as, as Richard Sherman. And I understand that many times you have Tiger Wood interviews where it's like, well, we did well and we won the game, and my teammates did great, and we're going to the Super Bowl, and it's going to be awesome. But there's a happy medium between being excited and being a total jackass. And there's been mixed reviews. I mean, a lot of people thought that it was great what he did, especially Seattle fans, but that it was great that he just came out and said, I'm the best. Why would you throw why would you throw the ball towards my direction? And I just don't think that with a franchise like the Seahawks, how they're run, how their head coach acts, what his demeanor's like, what your quarterback's like. And we, I mean, your quarterback and running back pretty much have said six words to the media all year. Marshawn Lynch said zero, and Russell Wilson said, you know, I mean, he, he is the consummate professional, and he's, and he's a baby. 
So having having all of the confidence and everything in the world, just make it a quiet confidence. Show people that you're the best in the game. You don't have to rip it in people's faces at the end of at the end of a fantastic play that you made, taking your team to the Super Bowl. It's not the time to do it. I don't think there's any time to do it, but it's definitely not then. Just be happy. Uh, we got to take a break. Kwame Lasseter, Sports Talk. On the other side, I will give a preview of the Super Bowl, Denver Broncos, Seattle Seahawks, number one offense versus number one defense. Kwame Lasseter, Sports Talk. We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy solo in studio today. Just talked about the last two games, the AFC and NFC Championship games. Do you want to preview the Super Bowl? This is one of the better ones. I'm, I'm really excited for this. I, I haven't seen the number one defense versus number one offense since I believe Tampa Bay and, and Oakland years back when Oakland just got punished by Tampa Bay and the best defense prevailed. I'm not sure if that's going to be the same situation here. Uh, Denver's, Denver's offense is really good. I feel like there's only a few teams that can supersede good defense and uh, Peyton Manning and that offense, I believe, is one of them. So my initial pick before doing any research or anything on it, I, I will pick Denver. I kind of don't want Denver to win. Uh, I talked about this with uh, Francis actually last night. I, I don't want Dan- I don't want Denver to win because I always want there to be the conversation of Eli Manning has more Super Bowls than Peyton. Yeah, Peyton's the best regular season quarterback of all time. I always want to have that conversation. If Peyton wins, it will it'll be boring now. Eli will be a non-issue in, unless he wins another one. And I don't know. That that's selfish. Like I, I really don't. I, I don't want Seattle to win either. So I mean, it, it's kind of a, a catch twenty two at this point. Um, number one offense versus number one defense. Who's going to come out victorious? Seattle regular season 
they played teams with a combined 125, 130, and 1 record. So I understand there are a lot of bad teams in the NFL. So getting somewhere near 500 is good. Broncos, 120 and 136 was the record that they that they uh, played against in the regular season, the combined record of the teams they played. So I, I'm not sure exactly what that shows. I just know that they beat the teams they were supposed to beat all year, which is which is very important. Uh, Denver lost by a total of, I believe, 16 points in their three losses, and Seattle lost by a total of 15. So all the all the games they lost were close. Seattle lost to two divisional opponents out of the three, and the Broncos lost to the Chargers, which was their one divisional opponent. I just don't know. I mean, I feel like that if Seattle can run the ball effectively, which they should be able to do, and control the clock and put pressure on Peyton Manning, those are the three things they need to do to win. Interesting stat. They've given up the exact same average of rushing yards per game for an opponent, 101.6. They're tied for seventh. Seattle's number one in opposing passing yards at 172. Denver's 27th at 254. So that alone is paving the way for Russell Wilson to have to do some damage. He's going to have to be a passing quarterback. He might have to throw the ball 30 times. If Marshawn Lynch, if they're stuffing Marshawn Lynch like they should, they need to stack eight in the box, Denver does, and make Russell Wilson beat you. And if he does, you give it up to him. You give him the kudos he deserves because he's going on a big stage right now in the cold, away from home, away from the 12th man against the best offense in NFL history. So he's going to have to produce. I mean, the over-under in this game has got to be around you know 40, I would think. I mean, you're not going to hold the Broncos under 20 points, no matter how good your defense is. These are the two best kickers in the game, which is going to be huge. Because where other teams would not be able to kick 54, 55-yarders, both these teams will. So, Russell Wilson needs to show what he's got in the Super Bowl. He's going to be the most important person on the field come Super Bowl. Whether it's going to be mental or physical, he's going to have to show some prowess. Probably have to show both. Sounds kind of cliche. You know, Peyton, you know what Peyton Manning's got. So again, my key success for Seattle, Marshawn Lynch needs to run the ball effectively. Over 80 yards. The defense needs to pressure Peyton Manning. He needs to be touched. He needs to be thrown down. you got to rattle his cage a little bit. And Russell Wilson needs to play a perfect game of football, which he hasn't done. So everybody's like, well, he's due, he's due. He hasn't shown it yet. Played fine yesterday, but that's not going to cut it against Denver. On the other side of the ball, Denver 
you know, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, obviously. Their offense is a well-oiled machine, and it has been since week one. It has been since the beginning of last year. Julius Thomas, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Wes Welker, Andre Caldwell even as a fifth receiver, who would be probably a number two receiver anywhere else. Nosha Moreno, Monty Ball. It's almost unfair. So if you're the best defense in the NFL, this is your test. If you can keep them under 25 points, it's a win, and, and you just have to have your offense do something. And don't wait until midway through the fourth quarter to turn it on like the last two opponents have. Broncos, I mean, the Chargers almost came back, but they took the first half off offensively. Try to control the clock too much. Patriots, I don't even know. That was not the Patriots team that we've grown accustomed to in the first half of of yesterday's game. Peyton Manning. Versus Seattle's defense. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, that's that's all I have for that right now. This is so fresh. Um, and there are a couple other things that I want to get to. Uh, one of which is we we didn't touch on this last week, but it came out I believe Thursday of last week. Is that Major League Baseball has finally decided to expand the replay instead of just home runs being over the home run line or not? They've expanded it to a position where it will better the game and it won't slow it down. I mean, baseball's slow as is. So is football. And Kwame and I always got in this argument. Football's as slow as baseball is. But there's so many more things that can be reviewed in the game of baseball than there can in football. Say say each pitcher throws nine innings and throws, throws 100 pitches each. Just say, hypothetically speaking, 100 pitches each. That's 200 chances of a play that needs to be reviewed. That's 200 chances. And that's on the low end. So the replay consists of, and the first part is really cool, that a manager gets one challenge through the first six innings, and if the challenge is upheld or the challenge is correct, for lack of a better term, uh, they, they get another challenge. And if... It's an incorrect challenge for the first six innings. They do not get another one. They've exhausted their ability to challenge. But from the seventh inning on, the umpires can challenge anything. The booth that will be set up in New York will be looking over all of the challenges and making a decision. The people on the, the umpires on the field will not be, which I think is great. You have eyes in the sky that are completely impartial. Not that umpires should be partial anyways, but momentum and stuff have a lot to do with calls at given times. You'll be able to have a staff member on a specific team being able to look at replays to choose if you want to replay it. And I think the coolest part is that fans will now get to see replays in the stands. Because it never used to be like that because nothing was replayed. I mean, the umpire would go down into the, into the wherever in the back room and... Either call it and come back, either call it a home run or not. Nobody got to see replays. Nobody got to see anything. So if you're calling out a bang-bang play at third base or or at first base, um, uh, fans will get to see it and and come to their own decision, which is cool. It's all part of the experience. Because if I'm at home, 
I didn't pay to watch the game, and I get to see all the replays. Why shouldn't the people that paid to get paid to get the seats get to see the full experience of everything? So I think it'll be great. I mean, I'm sure there'll be some naysayers that say it'll slow the game down, but this is as streamlined as possible. He goes to the booth in New York. They have a couple minutes. Comes back, boom, and then you make the correct call. There's no such thing as a national pastime anymore. America's pastime. America's pastime is gone. We're in a technological age now where people want to get it right as opposed to having the human error being a huge aspect of, of decisions being made. It will always be it will always be an aspect of baseball because balls and strikes will never be able will never be reviewable because every umpire has their own strike zone. And if that becomes reviewable, then you don't even need umpires. You just need sensors or a robot or something. So there will still be a human aspect of the game in decision making. But I just remember that Galarraga kid from the from the Tigers in 2010 who's one out away from a perfect game. Throws the, gets a ground ball, bottom of the ninth, two outs. Throws the ball to first base. The guy's clearly out. The runner is clearly out. He's called safe. And that's it. You cannot give that kid a perfect game, even though it was. And you review it, he gets a perfect game. He goes down as one of the few people in, in baseball history to have a perfect game. I mean, I know there's a lot, but it's it, it, with the numbers, it's definitely few. So, I don't know. I think I think it's a fantastic thing. I think it's moving in the right direction towards getting things right as opposed to hoping that your team doesn't get screwed out of a call or feeling a little bad that the other teams got screwed out of a call that, that bettered your team. I I don't see a downside to this. And the managerial aspect of everything will still be intact. The only thing that's going to change for managers is that they're going to have one challenge. I mean, their job is still going to be difficult. It's not like they're getting anything. They're getting one reprieve a game, maybe two, but they're still going to have to decide... You know when to bring the next picture in? Do you go? Uh, do you go hit and run here? I mean, it, it's all the situational stuff will stay the same. So I, I do believe that this is going to probably this will mold and change over the next few years. They're going to try and perfect it and then set it in stone. They said it's going to be a three-year plan, so maybe they'll. They'll uh, broaden it a little bit. I'm not exactly sure how if you're not going to touch balls and strikes. Maybe give the, the managers two challenges and then with a chance for a third. But in the grand scheme of things, I, this is this is a great, great leap forward for Major League Baseball because, I mean, they're pretty much the only sport that didn't have, they didn't have replay, full replay. Aside from home runs as well, obviously. So I'll take a break. On the other side, I'm going to talk a little NBA, um, finish up with this Major League Baseball stuff, and uh, yeah, then we'll get out of here. Alex Clancy in studio, Kwame Lester Sports Talk. I'll be back in a couple. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. 
The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Welcome back to Palmer Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy in studio. This is our final segment. We've talked AFC, NFC Championship Games, Super Bowl Preview, Little Major League Baseball replay expansion. I, I like that a lot. Uh, I want to move to the NBA. We're about halfway through the season, and this—I've never thought I would say this before, but the NBA season is way too long. This is this is my favorite sport. It still is, but eighty-two games is ridiculous. It, I mean, it, it's a lot, and I think especially because. Over half the teams make the playoffs. 16 out of the 30 make the playoffs. It's it, it, it's even more so that you either cut the amount of cut the amount of teams that are in the playoffs or cut the season, you know, by 20 games. Because the playoffs are another 2 months in and of themselves. So it leaves a lot of room for just lackadaisical dog days of the NBA play that if you're paying to go see these games, you're not going to see the amount of effort that you'd see game one as you would game 46. I mean, there's a lot of bad teams that just now, now it's the time of the season where everybody just beats up on each other. This isn't time to jockey for position yet. That's with about 25 games left when you actually turn it on again. I mean, San Antonio's still sticking there. They've, They've defied everything, age, injuries. They've, they've defied everything that people think about sports. 32-9. and nine. They're still really good. Nobody talks about them. Still, every year we talk about this around this time. They just happen to be at the top of the Western Conference. They'll probably make the finals. I mean, especially if Russell Wilson is, is hobbled in Oklahoma City. 
Indiana topped the Eastern Conference, thirty-two and seven. They're fine. I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to withstand withstand the Heat in the playoffs. I mean, and this is we've talked about this since day one. This is going to be these are the only two teams that are going to be relevant in the playoffs because the eight seed in the Eastern Conference is sixteen and twenty-two in Brooklyn. Looks like a failed experiment over there. Uh, let's talk about the other one, the Knicks. Carmelo Anthony. I'm doing the Carmelo watch here. They've lost three in a row. He's averaged less than three assists a game. Twelve and two when he averages when he gets four more assists a game. And I've said this, and I'll continue to say this. Twelve and two when they get four when he gets four more assists a game. Twelve out of their fifteen wins. They're three and twenty-three when he has less than four assists. Why doesn't why doesn't somebody smacked him in the face and told him, "Hey, look at this. Look at the numbers. Don't lie, man. Don't be a ball hog. Learn how to play basketball." And I think it's a little too late for him, especially with his contract coming up. I, I'm not sure who's going to want to take him. I mean, Chicago might. Chicago's on. He's on the Chicago short list. I think he's actually number one on Chicago's list to bring in, which would be catastrophic. Him and Derrick Rose on the same team would be awful. Wouldn't be a Kwame Lasseter sports talk show if we didn't touch on the Lakers. Lakers are giving up the second most points in the NBA. So Mike D'Antoni's uh, defensive scheme is working as usual. 16-25. This is, as a Laker fan... I'm happy that this is happening. I mean, this this whole thing of a bunch of one-year expiring contracts is is perfect because it, it will be left back into the the front office's hands of where we want to take where they want to take this team. If that means going after LeBron, which you know I, I would be fine. Obviously, it, it'd be a, an above-average move for the for the organization. I just think. The bringing in somebody that's you know down low presence like Kevin Love, and then bringing in you know a, a, a point a solid point guard and just building around them would probably be better. I mean Kobe's a cancer and he's going to continue to be. He's making forty eight mil over the next two years, which we've talked about many times. I'm just not sure what the theory behind the new direction for the Los Angeles Lakers will be. I'm not sure if Mike D'Antoni's going to head it. I mean, I, I don't think he should. But I feel like if they bring two stars in in the offseason, then Phil Jackson will come back. I mean, I, I truly believe that that should happen because he's the best manager of talent in NBA history, in, in, in my opinion. I'm just not sure. This year's just been kind of boring in the NBA. A lot of bad teams. Only two teams. Uh, there are four teams in the Eastern Conference that are over 500. Two of them only being 20 and 19, which is kind of discomforting. Nine teams in, in the in the Western Conference. That's 11 teams out of 30 that are over 500, and a couple of them just barely. So if this is what David Stern meant during the most recent collective bargaining agreement to keep everybody kind of in the middle, it worked. You ruined the league, but it worked. You need powerhouses. You need powerhouses. You need good players on good teams, big markets. Orlando's not going to be good for a long time, and there's nothing you can do about that. Philadelphia's not going to be good for a long time. Sacramento, 
It's not going to be good. Utah's not going to be good. Just kind of let things happen organically. Let let people go where they go. Maybe you'll have to cut out a couple teams. Something's got to change. And unfortunately for the NBA, it's not getting David Stern's washing his hands of it in about a month. Probably less than a month now. He's like, well, I did what I could do and, and, and that's it. And I put my final stamp on on the NBA and now I'm riding off to the sunset. Even though Mark Silver is going to be – or uh, uh, Silver, I can't remember his first name. is is Pretty much just going to be a puppet and David Stern's going to have his hand through his back telling him what to do. So I think the NBA is in trouble. Things need to change. And I've never, ever said this before. I truly loved watching every single NBA game that was on TV. And for those of you thinking, no, it doesn't have to do because the Lakers suck this year. That has nothing to do with it. It's just not fun. Kids coming out of college too early, not learning how to play basketball truly. Because through high school and your first year of college, you are riding the coattails of your supreme talent over all of these guys that aren't as good as you. That's not the way it's going to happen in the NBA. You're going to have to learn how to play basketball. And it's difficult. The game's a lot faster. It's a lot more physical. You have to learn how to take uh, contested jump shots all the time as opposed to just being able to rise up over people because you're bigger and stronger in college. We have about two minutes left, and I do want to end this this show on, on, on this conversation. I believe that the NBA and the NCAA should link up and come to a decision that either you let the kids come right out of high school or you make them stay two years in the in college. This one-year crap isn't – this is to make money for the NCAA. I get it, and Kwame would, would share mirror that sentiment. I, I mean, I get that. But it's not fair to these kids. Either let them try, try and fail, or try and succeed in the NBA right away, or make them stay two years. Make them learn how to play basketball if they want to while they're going to school. Because one year is not going to do much. One year is really not going to do anything. If you go to a if you go to a high powered high powered school like Syracuse or Kentucky or Kansas, Ohio State, with, I mean U of A now, it's not going to help these kids get better to go to the NBA. It's just going to give them a platform to do so and to be recognized and be put on national uh, national television games all the time. It's going to exploit these kids, make them look better than they are. You draft them number one or number two overall, and it takes them three or four years to learn how to play. So to be fair to these kids, I would say, personally, I would say make them stay two years in college and not allow them to come out right out of high school. But that's just me. I'm I'm a dreamer, I guess. Uh, we talked about a lot today. We've got about 30 seconds left. Go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Follow me on Twitter, at Clancy's Corner, C-L-A-N-C-Y-S-C-O-R-N-E-R. Download the Voice America radio app, streams. It's great, very easy to use, very user-friendly. We will be back tomorrow. I believe Kwame will be here as well. Alex Clancy, Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk, Voice.comerica.
for tuning in this week. Join us every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.